one of the phrases we use is great music is great music and if great music is in your ears happens to be hip-hop or grime that's fine having the respect for different types of music why you love them what's good about them how it makes you feel how it connects people in my opinion that's what's important meet bob riley after a successful career as a touring classical violinist 16 years ago bob joined the manchester camarata as chief executive it's an orchestra that's well known for innovation hacienda classical is a great example of that it's also known for its fantastic work opening up access to world-class music for different communities in manchester last year the Camerata moved to one of Manchester's most iconic buildings, Gorton Monastery, which is where we recorded this interview. I wanted to know what impact has moving to the monastery had on the orchestra, how have their goals and aims changed in the past 16 years, and why is it so important to Bob to let people clap at a classical performance if they want to. Bob, thanks so much for joining me on We Built This City. It's a pleasure. And I've got such a special place in my heart for the Camerata. I've been to lots of concerts at Bridgewater Hall and obviously spent loads of nights at one of the classical events, either in the mosh pit at um, Castlefield <laughs> Bowl or something, but made loads of friends through the orchestra. So I'm really excited to be talking to you today. And we used to obviously share an office, didn't we, Bonded Warehouse, yeah. and shared the lift together a few times. Many trips in the lift. Your office was always really messy. There was sheet music everywhere. Thanks for that, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks for that, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was piles of wires and music it was, everywhere. It was yeah. it always looked very creative, very exciting. Yours always looked very tidy, yes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We did notice. I was at the back, though. My desk wasn't, but the rest of the office was very tidy. <laughs> and we're obviously sitting here today in the amazing new home for the Camerata, to Monastery. But it's quite honestly one of the most beautiful places we recorded. We built the city in, so um, thank you for letting us come here today. So you're an adopted monk. You're a Yorkshireman by birth. So how did you end up in Manchester? So I grew up in the wilds of East Yorkshire where there were lots of cowpats, very remote. Um, and my mum and dad were both musicians and music teachers and they brought a violin home one day. So I had a bit of skill, had a bit of talent, uh, ended up getting into the RNCM and studying with amazing uh, Russian-Ukrainian teacher called Lydia, who was from Odessa. And I remember coming, driving into Manchester and suddenly finding ourselves having left the cowpats of East Yorkshire behind being on Curry Mile, we got a bit lost and we ended up there, <laughs> kind of looking around going, where on earth are we? So, that yeah, that was the physical journey from from East Yorkshire to, to Manc. I never looked back to really. Yeah. You know, that was that was like a, I don't know, in at the deep end of yeah. Manchester, which... Baptism of fire yeah, on Curry Mile. Yeah. But, you know, it's like a... It's a it's a bug, isn't it? It's just gone in and I love the place. I love mm. it. The Curry Mile, I used to live on um, Moon Grove, which is just off. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Rush home. Yeah. We were very lucky after university for a couple of years there. Yeah. Loved the buzz of that place. It was just, there was so much vibrancy and colours and lots going on. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, you know, I mean, I remember that moment really vividly arriving and going, God, where the hell are we? But I don't know, there was something, um, not familiar, but something comfortable to mm. me about being there in something very different that was bustling and had lots of different people you know from different cultures and backgrounds really obviously and you know obviously on curry mile it's just like this incredible smell and food and it just felt very exciting and it's never stopped feeling exciting it's like a city that's um always got that hustle and bustle and sense of there's maybe a sense of change about Mm. it maybe that's it Mm. i don't know and so 
What happened after the Royal Northern College of Music? Did you stay in Manchester or why did your career take you then? I began working in, in various places, but as a violinist and a viola player. Uh, the place that always stands out for me was Birmingham Opera Company because I, I kind of happened on it, really. Somebody just saw me one day and said, do you play the violin and the viola? And I said, I do, and they said, you're booked. Um, which was a bit happen chance, I suppose. But Graham Vick, who sadly died last year, was the artistic director there for many years and he kind of moved it from being a company that toured in traditional venues in a traditional way and said actually no I want this to be part of and reflect society in the most visceral way it can and so he really changed the company literally turned it around to face a different way where we were in found spaces before anyone called them found spaces Mm where we were working with people who didn't have the opportunity, had real disadvantage before people were really doing that. And so I got this incredible experience of, you know, sometimes being in an ice rink, up a crane, in a car park, all of these things. But, you know, the quality of the artists around us and the experience was very, very high. And so that really shaped a lot for me about what, what I wanted to do, the difference I wanted to make, um, and the people that I wanted to do it with, I suppose. That was a really formative experience. And, you know, and obviously being in Manchester, where there are you know, amazing orchestras and ensembles, now mm. the BBC, the Halle, the Manchester Collective, Safa, Safa's amazing. Being around all of that, all of that kind of influences you. But the whole while along, I'd also wanted to help create projects or ideas and and make them happen not from a playing point of view to organise things. And so I worked in a few festivals and helped create those and run those, and that was really interesting. And then set up um, a company called Blue Frog with a dear, dear friend of mine, Fiona, and we ran the kind of projects that I I suppose I just described, you know, where a lot of it in Lancashire. And then this job came up a few years into that, and I've been here since. So that was 16 years ago. It was 16 years ago. Let's mumble that one 16 years ago. Yeah. And you're celebrating the 50th birthday this year. Jointly with Camerata, bizarrely. Yeah. Oh so my gosh, Camerata is, really? Camerata is 50 and I am 50. Wow, so that's it, meant to be. But maybe it was. Yeah. I never, I didn't quite <laughs> clock it, but yeah, maybe it is. But it's an interesting one for Camerata, the, the 50th, because particularly over the last two years, we've really gone back to ask that question why do we exist what we're actually here for and really it's about music as a tool for positive change Mm. rather than necessarily music for us to play and enjoy Mm. of course we it's for Mm. us and we enjoy it but we think if it's not affecting some positive change and those can be very very small changes that are insular Mm. or there can be much bigger changes that are, are external facing to our audiences and communities and you know both are important in balance and so, you know, over the last two years, we've, I guess, focused down on what we're about and the direction we want to take. And for us, it's all about the future. It's about laying down foundations with new composers, new communities that, you know, we can make a difference in in the future. Mm. And new audiences, of course, you know, project like Hassie and the Classical or something, you know, it's grown huge audiences. I'm sure it will continue to do so because it's, it's a brilliant show. And so... What was the camera like when you found it, when you made it here kind of 16 years ago? Was it very different then? 
It, it was different, but, you know, I was really lucky because mm. the whole of Camerata and everybody involved in it, it's one big collaborative effort. Mm. And I was incredibly lucky to come at a time when Douglas Boyd had been here, um, a great friend and an amazing artist, and had helped build the orchestra, get them to the proms and recording regularly and playing in the Bridgewater Hall and the orchestra, you know, was sounding absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I was very lucky that... It was in that shape when I came, and financially it was very stable. So we've just continued to build on that. And, you know, as courses, as things evolve, some people go, some people arrive, and things evolve and develop, but from that base. Mm. So I thank those people very, very much for getting to that point, because mm. we couldn't have got here without that. It was interesting when you talk about the people that you're working with. We were saying before, when we arrived at the space we're in here, there was a circle of chairs. And that was your board meeting circle. At the beginning of every board meeting, one of your board members plays a piece. Yeah, I it's love what, that. One, one of the orchestra does. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it sounds a bit like one of the, the orchestra, not one of the board members. It, 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 okay, definitely not. We, as as one of the board say. members said, you don't want us playing. We said no, we don't. <laughs> we don't. Um, it sounds a bit like the magic circle. You know, it, 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 you know, it was it was a nice way to start that that meeting and to hear actually Rachel, our principal oboe, talk about her now 20 years in the orchestra mm. and just reflect what she did reflect was the value of that variety of work that we do so all the way from well afro deutsch is an mm. amazing artist we've just begun working yeah. with um in coventry on on sunday right through to mozart you know recording all the mozart piano concertos in stoller hall and it's that variety and depth which honestly in quite a traditional world that likes to be able to put things in a box and define it, we don't fit in that box. Mm. And that's, that has been a struggle because, you know, I think some people in our sector, maybe some of our audiences go, oh, you know, what do you mean you're doing Afro-Deutsch? Have you <laughs> lost it? What, what's going on? <laughs> but actually for us, that is about the richness of the society that we're in and it's about an amazing artist. It's just not one actually that writes music or mm. can read music. But we don't care about that. Because I think for us all, and as Rachel also reflected, it's got to be about the emotional connection that music can make and focusing really, really hard on that. Mm. You know, and that's something I also learned um, and that, that I feel really strongly about working with Graham at Birmingham Opera. Because it was, you know, removing what can sometimes be the restrictions of concert halls mm. and the behaviours that some people have in them. Uh, which can be, you know, they can be a bit judgmental. Mm. You know, did you clap at the wrong time? Well, we don't really care <laughs> if you clap. It's because you enjoyed it and that's what you're there for, right? Is that true? Is that what people think now? I mean, that was always a thing. It was the person who clapped in the wrong place. Yeah. Do you know, sadly, somebody told me that story about four months ago. Said, oh, you know, I went to a concert. You know, the concert was really great, but I clapped because I enjoyed it and somebody turned around and totted at me. I but I guess, you know, you just got to go, well, you know, maybe for that person who tutted at you, it interrupted their moment. Mm. Um, you know, but I think not being in traditional concert halls, mm. which are amazing, yeah. and we still play in them, you know, we have a different experience where in a building like this where there's a greater sense of yourself and what you're mm. experiencing rather mm. than necessarily the building. And... One of the phrases we use is great music is great music. And if great music is in your ease, happens to be hip-hop or grime, that's fine. Mm. You know, the, there can't be any judgment about that. I think where it goes wrong is where people in either world, be it grime 
looking at classical going, oh, that's classical. Or the other way around, that's where it doesn't work. I think having the respect for different types of music, why you love them, what's good about them, how it makes you feel, how it connects people, in my opinion, that's what's important. You know, and part of our journey has been about, I suppose, breaking down some of those barriers. That was one of the great things about the Mozart project we're doing with Gabor, a wonderful music director. He talks about music as spiritual medicine. And honestly, he could be in a cow shed or Carnegie Hall and you wouldn't get anything different. You would get absolutely the purest form of this amazing artist. I think that, that's quite unusual. Um, but vice versa, you know, with a project like Hacienda, you know, that comes with that amazing history and euphoria of that time and that place, to kind of mix that with classical and challenge those boundaries a bit, mm. that's been an interesting mm. journey as well. It's interesting because I didn't know this, but just tell us about the the name, what Camerata means, because it, it seems to me it's so in keeping with what Manchester is all about. It is really. So the, the word Camerata comes from the Florentine Camerata who existed in the, I don't know, 1660s, long time ago. But basically it's a group of people for quite a short space of time, actually, like 10 years in Florence who came together to discuss education, the arts, society. And it was, you know, really prominent figures, poets, scientists, Galileo was part of it, for instance. And so it really was a melting pot of people who wanted to share ideas and to collaborate and to think about, you know, perhaps think about new ways of doing things. And so I think, you know, many years ago, that was a very, very well-chosen name and one that, you know, we really keep in the back of our minds, whether we're in this building with the Dell Care Home or, you know, we're in Beijing on tour with Mozart, whatever it is, you really try and keep that in mind because that's the spirit that in the orchestra makes the orchestra sound as good as it does. Mm. And that's the spirit that means we can connect really, really well with kids at Onside or or wherever, you know, wherever we're at. So it's a really important thing, that. So mention onside there so we're obviously in the middle of Gorton and we're in the world-class building here with a world-class orchestra what was the decision about bringing it here because you're not surrounded necessarily by people who would totally get the camerata so has there been a big impact have you been able to take the camerata into the immediate community gosh there's a lot there so have we made an impact it's far too early to tell because I think an impact for me is something systemically long-term that's changed have we got some activities with people you know yes we have because it wasn't about moving to this building Mm -hmm. it was about moving to this area I mean it happened to be we were kind of homeless we didn't have a roof over our head and there'd been a long relationship with the monastery Mm -hmm. anyway you know for 15 16 20 years even and so at that time we got a roof over our head but we always said when we moved here it has to be about the difference we can make for people not just being in this building Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you know, we spoke to amazing Adam Farrakhan mm. on side. And I don't know, just I asked him about his journey. It really was for six months. It was about talking to people and listening to what their journey to here had been. Could they see any value in us being here? Because if they said no, we'd have probably done one. We might, you know, we might not be here now. But, you know, that's not been the case. So when you say you spoke to people in the community, who did you engage with then to ask them the, the question if they wanted you here or not? So we spoke to a range of people. So uh, Afzal Khan, the local MP, who we've become really friendly with actually, and it's a really great relationship where 
he's obviously very supportive, but he's challenging as well, which I think is important. And Luther Rahman, the exec member for Leisure and the deputy leader of the city council, who's been hugely supportive of culture in general, but really supportive of our move here. And then just as many people nearby that we can do, St Peter's, the obviously hideout and all the colleagues there, Oasis, I mean, that's an incredible, incredible project, an incredible centre. Um, other schools, the GPs, and as we've established some activity here, just to talk to people who come off the street, you know, the, the people, the residents, and find out what their story is, what they think of the area that they live in, what they think of this amazing building, and what, to know what they need, what they want the area to be in, and then finally to say, could we fit in in some way? What, what would you imagine us doing? And of course, you know, we've got suggestions, we've got ideas, but we don't want we don't want to bring that first. We want to hear what people really want because this isn't a, a light move for us. This is home, so you know we have to figure out where we fit in. And so we're slowly doing that, you know. But it's been it's been really interesting doing that because there's such an enormous, enormous pride, rightly so, in this area, its history, you know, and what it is now. So and for the future, which is. Which is really great. And when you were talking to some of those individuals or those groups, what did they say they wanted? I think what they want is, you know, a large part of it is they want events in here. They want to come to something in this building. Mm. That's a big bit of it. Because people are very, very proud of this building. But not everyone walks through the door. You know, it's an awe-inspiring place and that can work both ways. And so what we heard was, you know, we don't always go in, but what we'd love to do is, is to come in and hear something. And then, you know, that's from the kind of orchestra performance point of view. And so, yeah, for instance, the Messiah is going to be a regular slot. You know, we did it in December to test it out and it was rammed to high heaven <laughs> yeah. and people left crying. So, well, that probably works. <laughs> um, you know, but there's other more edgy stuff like the electroacoustic mashup that we do equally. That just sold out in a flash, and so that tells us people really want that, and they had a great time. Um, and on the other side of our work, the community work, the particularly the dementia music therapy work, that again, you know, we had three months of that, which was profoundly moving. That's been one of the really joyful things about the Music in Mind program, is that it listened and observed that need ten years ago. Mm when we met Professor John Keady at the university, who's, John's incredible. He was a dementia nurse in the 80s and he's now really highly respected academic who's written a lot about dementia and knows a huge amount about it. Uh, but it was interesting because he brought us the idea of what would happen if we examined that moment when music makes the difference to somebody who lives with dementia. What would happen you know, how, what's the programme that you could do, Camerata, that would explore it? And what's the research that we would do that would pick that apart and understand it? Uh, we had to stop because the funding stopped and people were still knocking on the door. So, you know, I think that also works. But perhaps one of the most moving things for me was it was working with Onside, you know, a very short project to work with some of the kids who hadn't sung in a choir and Adam said, like, you know, I really want to get them singing. And they wrote and performed their own song at the AMC, the, the gospel happening, festive happening that we do at Albert Hall in front of like 900 people. And, you know, that was, yeah. it was an amazing moment because none of us knew whether they could write it, whether they wanted to do it or whether they could deliver it in a show. And they did it all. 
so it was it was really quite something that you know so when you talk about when you use the word impact i'd like to think that's something that will never leave them and therefore it probably will be an impact yeah i've been to that i mean that's just an incredible that's when christmas starts isn't it but it's bringing young people who don't perhaps feel that they have access to those beautiful buildings i mean obviously albert hall is another incredibly stunning building isn't it Mm. but by that opportunity with music helping them to kind of literally get onto a a stage or a platform it's life-changing to some degree isn't it it's a first in many cases it is and i mean that what you just said in many ways forms part of our vision for the future you know we have a formed plan about artistic and social impact that we want to make in greater manchester and a large part of that about is changing opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, for the next three years, we want to reach a million people to start that process. You know, and that will be about making sure that every person who has dementia in Greater Manchester and every, every young person gets access to great music making in whatever way works for them. Mm. You know, it's not about us playing two people in a fixed venue, yes. but really listening and understanding what that is and bringing that change and... In, in this kind of 50th year, that's, that's one of the big things that we want to come out of this, is that we do have a fantastic start to reaching that million people over the next three years. But really listening and working with people to find out what's, what works for them, rather yeah. than just taking what we do. Definitely. Yeah. And then you've instantly made yourself more accessible. He did something a few years ago, I think it was with Allied London. It's like a scratch orchestra for a Christmas mm. concert and um, you could apply to be in it and I applied. <laughs> Were I you in the it? dust off my flute. No, I think my application got lost in the oh, post. No. I was gutted. I thought I just hadn't, I wasn't good enough. We didn't have to send anything in. There's no audition. But um, I love that idea. I mean, we did something in Bury at The Rock when we launched The Rock Shopping Centre, Roland Transfield, a job for a client, and we got the Scratch Choir together of people in the community, and we did One Day Like This, and they practised, so people who had never really sung before, and some of the Elbow band came, actually without even knowing, we didn't know they were going to come, they came. But loads of the people who did that went on then to carry on singing and yeah. they kind of, it gave them the confidence back and it's just such a magical thing to be involved with. Yeah, I think the thing about singing, as well as anyone can do it, not everyone yeah. has the opportunity or has the time or money to have lessons and play an instrument, I guess. That's something that we're thinking a lot about here because, you know, obviously it's a great place for singing, hence yeah. something like the Messiah or an AMC gospel. Um, but I think the, the thing is everyone should have access to great music making. It's almost everyone's mm. right in a city mm. like Manchester that the line underneath is it famous for music, you know, and football probably. But the thing at St John's with Allied London, that the orchestra was a really interesting story because there was somebody who worked with an allied who wanted to set an orchestra up and write a piece and found it a bit difficult at first and so we helped and formed this orchestra and I'm really sorry we missed your CV I That's can't really believe it, I was honestly devastated so rude isn't yeah. it, awful, <laughs> never got wow. over that. dissed <laughs> but my party pieces I can play pretty much any pop song that you've asked me to on really? the flute without really? any music yeah. okay. and my favourite is Fairytale of New York I don't out? know I might have to do more practice <laughs> now I've actually put that out there but one year at Bonded Warehouse we all had we could all play a musical instrument badly but we could all play something and we all brought we actually had a Christmas concert of our own right. in Bonded and um, yeah and we did Fairytale of New York then so I'm, I don't think you're in the building then <laughs> I don't think we were <laughs> 
So my request then is, in, this would be from my boy Ted probably and Nell, my daughter, it'd be Mr Brightside. Oh, I can do Mr Brightside. Can you? Really? I've seen The Killers. I've actually, yeah, I've, I have seen The Killers quite a lot of times and that's one of my favourite songs right, to play. Okay. So we'll, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll work on it. Practice. <laughs> so, I mean, and also... We've just been talking there about so many different people and different community groups and politicians and mm. businesses. Mm. And that just really shows, doesn't it, about the collaboration that Manchester's famous mm. for. And I just think it's unparalleled. I've never seen mm. this anywhere else. But it does take an army, doesn't it? We have that army in yeah. Manchester because... And that just shows how much, for example, musical culture touches so many different parts yeah. of our Greater Manchester community. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. But people who are directly in that culture also really appreciate and support it. So, you know, I'm really lucky. I'd, you know, I've got friends and colleagues, Dave Mutri at home, yeah. who's amazing, appreciates and sees so much art and culture and sees its impact. And colleagues at MIF... Um, obviously in the other music ensembles mm. you know, but also in places like the university you know, Creative Manchester is sort of a part of the university and that's very important to us because we do a lot of work and research with them so it, it's kind of imbued it's just like runs like a golden thread through, mm. through everyone really it's got its challenges as well because when you've got a lot of ambition and the city does and we all do well there comes a cost with that because world class doesn't cost nothing mm. There are always challenges with that, but I think that's made a lot easier because everyone broadly wants the same thing long term, mm. which is great. It does make it unusual, and colleagues in London reflect that that's unusual about Manchester mm. and internationally. Mm. You know, that's, yeah. that's unusual. And how does it feel? Because obviously, Camarasa travels worldwide. How does it feel kind of taking that Manchester DNA across the world? I mean, is a responsibility in some way? Yeah, always. It's a heavy name, right, isn't it? Mm. It's Manchester, so if we go somewhere, it's got to be really good. But not just good, it's got to be good in a Mancunian way. It has to have that distinctive edge. Mm. And we have to work hard to find that. So when we went on tour to China, or you know, we've got other tours lined up. Whenever we go, we always think, right, what, what else can we bring that's Mancunian? So it might be a piece that one of the students at Cheatham's or the RNCM has written something that's unusual or you know it might be something like the Music in Mind programme which is very Manchester and is, is world class and so we might offer that but and also we try to make those civic connections you know so when we're on tour in China of course we're trying to meet some of the the dignitaries there and I don't know bring something of Manchester mm. you know bring a bee <laughs> at least but it's interesting isn't it that we have a perception of a certain genre of music in Manchester. And when I was had um, Dr. F- um, I always say this, Dr. Kirsty Fairclough. Dr. Kirsty Fairclough. <laughs> she wouldn't mind, by the I'm, way. Kirsty wouldn't mind, I've I'm said sure. it several times, I've changed her name. <laughs> <laughs> but she was saying that, you know, with the jazz festival, you don't automatically think of that rich history of jazz in Manchester. So we tend to think of it as being Manchester in the 80s and, and the Hacienda. It drives my son mad. He goes, that's not what music's about mum and Manchester so it's really encouraging to see so many opportunities to push and educate people the types of music and remember that musical heritage that we've got here it's a really good point that your son makes because I mean you might love the music of the Manchester period Mm -hmm. or you might hate it whatever actually for those people it's great music and it's still great music but we've got to think about what comes next and why and what it's going to do and allow artists 
in our orchestra, not in our orchestra, allow artists to have as much of a voice as they can and allow their ideas to flourish because that's why Manchester was succeeded, yeah. you know. So I do feel sometimes that the classical music offering as opposed to the indie rock, pop, whatever, mm-hmm. it sometimes gets a little bit lost in Manchester. I think, it, you know, I'd love to see it continue to be appreciated more mm-hmm. and for that to really develop and and for people to go to concerts to really try things out that they might not otherwise um, because that's a very, very important part of our heritage and, you know, the Hallows, an incredible orchestra. It's been going for, yeah. what, 150 years? That's an amazing achievement. If they weren't there, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, there's so many other things wouldn't happen. So it's almost looking at the spider's web and going, we need to look after every little bit of this mm. to make sure that the whole kind of continues. I do think particularly... You know, at the moment, particularly after COVID, there's a lot of um, not just young artists, actually, mid-career artists as well. Yeah. We sometimes forget about that, that um, that need support, you know, in their new creative ideas, things they want to do in the community or just, you know, continuing with their career. Because mm. it's very, very hard, you know, artists, musicians, they don't earn much. Yeah, You know, we can all see, you know, the price of a coffee going up and houses and all those sorts of things and so it's worth just really being mindful of that and making sure we support those people yeah very much so yeah. so I mean talking about the pandemic I mean performers artists the whole creative industry has probably hurt more than most and the other thing I think about that time is that when we've been through crises in Manchester, every single time we've had a crisis, we've always had music. <laughs> we've always been able to come together, and that's yeah. taken some of the pain away, hasn't it? If you think about the um, the concert, for example, after the arena attack, yeah. or is that coming together as a community? So how was it for you at that time, and what did you do to keep your teams together and, and put your music out there? You just have to play. Mm. You just have to do what you do. Mm. Yeah, and Just as you're saying that, I'm... My head went to standing in the field at Glastonbury watching Rowetta in her incredible bee outfit where we opened Glastonbury that year, but that was a real moment. Mm. You know, she sang We Got the Love and it was after the bomb and it was really emotional and it was quite a profound moment to have the opportunity to do that, actually. You know, but during COVID, the other thing we've got to remember, and it's back to the artists... Mm. We've got an amazing pool of freelance artists. Those are people who choose not necessarily to have one job, to be freelance, to follow their vocation, to follow their way of doing that. I mean, they're incredible people, number Mm. one, but they're incredible musicians who want to give back in a a variety of different ways. And, And we're very, very fortunate here with that. But during COVID, as a freelance orchestra, because our musicians are not contracted, so there's no furlough for them. No. And it was really, really, really hard. Some of them had teaching jobs that you know, helped them keep going. Um, we managed to you know, put some projects together, like one in this building, in fact, with AMC. And so those were important points. Mm-hmm. But they didn't pay the bill. They were driving for Amazon. They were doing all sorts of other things. And you know, I think there'll be a legacy from that, that the pace and the pressure of working like that, some people won't come back. Because it's like an athlete. It really is like an athlete playing an instrument at that level. You have to be in constant daily training. That's before you go to work. And when you go to work, 
very often there's a lot of pressure, there's not much time, and it's got to be really good. So if you imagine all of that shoved into a three-hour session where, or the hour that we got to warm up on the stage at Glastonbury, well, it's pretty damn tough, actually. Mm. Um, you know, but they're an incredible and positive and plucky lot, the freelancers that we have up here. So I'm really grateful to you know, the people, and there's some significant trusts and foundations, etc. the Savannah Trust, for instance, who, who've really supported that group of people. Because in a way, that's the lifeblood that can you know, go with the flow, shift, change, grow, do different things. It's interesting because well, my daughter's a, she's just graduated six months ago from the Academy of Contemporary Music in, in Guildford, and she's a singer and she's on singing production. Oh, wow. Wow. But she started university, and then six months later had to bring her home. And then for 18 months, and they never went into a studio. They were doing songwriting on Zoom calls, horrendous in like breakout rooms with people you don't know. And she said to me that the pressure to be creative, and I think I've spoken to other creative people that, oh, you must be even more creative now because it's a lockdown, you've got time. And, and in actual fact, the reality is as well, besides those pressures, it's life that makes you creative. It's those things that you see when you see <laughs> each other. people, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Lewis Capaldi cancelled his tour and yeah. he thought he was going to lock himself down in a mansion, didn't he? And he couldn't produce. So yeah. it's that massive pressure that we also put on creatives in times of challenging times. We'll just go and create and it doesn't work like that, does it? It really doesn't. I mean, we have this conversation in our team sometimes, you know, when we're, you know, we really need an idea for, a creative idea for a particular funder or a project or whatever. And, my colleague James, quite rightly, he's brilliant. He'll just say, look, it's a creative idea. I can't sit down on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock and go, right, now is my time to have the creative idea. <laughs> it doesn't work like no. that. You know? And so it does need support. It needs the right environment for musicians, for actors, for all of these people. It, you can't do it on demand. And actually, as much as we can do virtually and on Zoom, and there's loads that we can, mm. you know, it's great. The whole point is the human interaction and seeing, hearing, feeling that emotional response and connection, mm. you, you can't really get that on a Zoom call virtually. It's, it's very, very difficult. Mm. Lots of things you can, but that bit you can't. Mm. And that's where the next creative impulse or idea comes from very often. Yeah. So, you know, that's another reason why musicians and artists not having the outlet of sitting in front of and making that connection with an audience, it's almost like being mute. Yeah. You know, you're suddenly not able to communicate and do the thing that you do. Yeah. It's kind of trapped inside. So then to be hurled back into it, uh, right now it's back on, Mm. you know, back up to the pace, really high standards. Some people are going, I need a build up. I can't just click back in. Yeah. Just that image of Rowetta at Glastonbury. I spoke to Rowetta. We built the city not long after the pandemic. It might have even been in one of the other lockdowns, probably was. And... I felt emotional when he, when he told that story then because she said that it was like the meaning of her life was over because she got so much love from standing in front of a group of people yeah. and sharing her talent yeah. and, and sharing her art yeah. that it almost felt that she, well, she totally lost her identity in that time and that's, that's so hard because that is who you are, it's how you show up and suddenly that's taken away from you. Yeah, I mean, I love Roata. Mm. She, I think she's an amazing artist and... There's something about her voice. I mean, she's a, she's a great person to talk about on this subject, isn't it? Because for whatever reason it is, in her voice, you almost can see her heart. You can almost mm. see the 
the suffering, the joy, the all those things that's in people's emotion. It's almost like a tingle in the air that you could almost reach out and touch. It's so visceral with her, I think, you know, lots of other artists as well. So I think for people like that, yeah, I can imagine it's like that, having that outlet is who you are, mm. for good, for bad, for whatever. That's really difficult. I think the, the work that you did in the pandemic in terms of the United We Stream and, you know, that was amazing that we watched that in our kitchen and it was uh, incredible. And to see all the musicians just in their bedrooms or wherever, it was amazing. Yeah, it was it was amazing that. And was that actually, hard to, to pull together? It, it was incredibly hard yeah. to pull together because, you know, nobody had done it really a you know what am I doing standing in my spare bedroom blowing a tune when I should be on a stage in glass it was just that was weird individually you know but I guess behind all of that there are two amazing pictures there's there's Fletch and of course Hooky you know who's been behind that whole thing and having Mm -hmm. their belief that it could happen and we could do it and we could make it great and that focus on making it the great experience we all know it's been that just got everyone revved up they just went yeah we can do it it's fine and and in that psychology that upwards positive psychology it's like what's why would it not work Mm. and of course there were all sorts of difficult things to pull together and you know was it synced and did it look this and the other but it was great you know and and then we'd done something virtually which really worked and it reached like millions of people as well yeah, that and really that's one of the things that it, it, it did, by being able to stream that kind of stuff, it, it did get to such a, a, a probably different, yeah. wider audience, but a different audience. Yeah. You know, we had the whole of our family were around watching that and it was amazing. Although my son's going, this is not what Manchester's about, that it's not yeah, Manchester I mean, stuff. But it does, it was so, it was brilliant. I, it was a, I remember it being a really joyful night, actually. It was good, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say, I mean, we talk about values Roland Dransfield and our values now are our brand and they are so important to what we do what would you say the values are with the camarata and how do you want people to feel what your role is in the world as music and the community it's to connect with people Mm. it's collaborative and it's about courage yeah it's really those three things obviously through music also I mean there's I mean in terms of values I think it's the way you apply them as well isn't it Definitely. you know and we have this thing in our team at the moment about not about it, it's the way we work it's about consulting which really means listening but deep listening actually listening and watching to find ways to collaborate that can create long-term impact mm. so the consult collaborate and create kind of vibe is I think that's what works and that's the way the orchestra work you know they're constantly listening to each other when they play because they have to and it is in an unusually collaborative way where they generally want to upwardsly support their colleagues around them and that's why we do create something that's that's very very special it's also why they've got the kind of resilience strength all those sorts of words as opposed Mm. to try different things Mm. you know because if it goes wrong there's nobody judging you if it goes Mm. wrong well there you go we tried something Mm. and it didn't work yeah there's something to learn from and and on and how important do you think has Manchester been to the camarata in terms of what it stands for and its values I mean could could it have done what it's done anywhere else do you think do you know I don't want to answer that because the other thing that I think Manchester does is pat itself on the back a bit about that Mm. and I think that can lead to complacency and it's not good because yes of course we're great but are we as great as we think we are probably not because we do punch above our weight (laughs) which is a great thing but equally 
when you're busy going, oh, we punch above our weight. Well, what did you miss? What, what could have been better? What could be supported better? So maybe it couldn't have happened anywhere else. You know, but we haven't tested that out, so we don't know. Uh, what we do know is that, you know, the that very Mancunian spirit, that collectiveness, um, there's a fantastic report, a Greater Manchester Inequalities Commission report, and I think it's Kate Pickett, who's the chair of that, who talks about, you know, of course, lots of disadvantage and stuff that shouldn't be happening and that isn't great in our society, but that it's the collective spirit that will overcome that. And I think that's definitely an unusual thing for Manchester. Mm. Um, so could you have that collective spirit anywhere else? Maybe not quite that you, in the way we do here. Mm. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> it's interesting, though, Vikash Shah, um, who was on the podcast... Um, he has a, a business, isn't he? He's a philanthropist and an author, yeah. you know, because, yeah, because, yeah. and he said that. He said, um, you know, we can get very, you can be in an echo chamber if you're not careful. And how we yeah. view ourselves, if you go onto a world stage, there are, you know, there are so much exciting um, work being done around the globe. And yeah. obviously you see that because you are yeah. taking Manchester out there and, and you can make those comparisons, can't you? Yeah, I mean, you only need to look at a city like Budapest. And that's really interesting because... You know, there, a classical concert will mm. be put on it, it'll be sold out in a day. Right. Here, you're grinding away to get to 50% <laughs> on the day. That's the reality. Mm. You know, so are we world-class? Are we doing the very best that we can if we compare ourselves with Budapest? No. Mm. Nowhere near, actually. You know, and of course, you can pick apart all the reasons for that. What is it? Is it because they're better funded? Well, they probably are, but is it only that? No, it's not. It's a cultural thing. It's where... You know, probably classical music has always been in schools, has always been part of the culture and the system there. Uh, and therefore, it's just something that people mm. do. And they love it. Mm. And that's great. Mm. You know, so can it just be something that every Mancunian just does? Mm. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, That could be what good looks like. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because um, I've just been mentoring in a, a school in Salford. Um, so I had a little sister and I was Fantastic. a big sister. Um, and I don't think she'll learn anything off me, but I learned plenty <laughs> off her, to be honest. Say thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But music wasn't, it doesn't seem to be a big thing. Like when I was at school, you know, you all had to go, there was always instruments, and you had to go and fight, and who didn't get to the front of the queue got the drumsticks or whatever. So, but there was the opportunity for us all in Salford to play a musical instrument. I mean, is that the same now? Are, no, we, are we not? No. So there's a real issue in terms of it, look, bringing them through. This is a huge issue, mm. that, and it's like a lot of things in recent history where you know, really important things that will have an impact mm. just go yeah. like that. They go mute because it gets covered under a load of other news. You know, music in schools, it's being wound down. Mm. Music you know, the funding for music in higher education has been halved. Mm. So what's going to happen? Do we have half of Peter Hook in 40 years? Mm. Do we have half of Rowetta? We'll be lucky if we do. If we care about that, you have to do something about it now because you don't grow a great flautist, a great violin. You don't grow them overnight. It doesn't no. just happen. No. It starts like in the school that you've just talked mm. about. Yeah, we all had to have... Everybody played the recorder. How were you? Were you any good on the recorder? I was good, I was great on the recorder. Oh, good, okay. I was honestly, I loved music. I, I, we all had to play, but you played it like. After could you play Mr. Brightside on the recorder? I, I, I would be able to. If you brought me on now, I could, I could do it, I'm sure. I'll see what we've got in the <laughs> office. <laughs> and um, how would you say the Camaras has helped to build this city? It's a really good question, actually, because that's what we should be doing. 
And if we want music for change, and that's making a change in this city and changing the city region, which it is, I think there's a few beacon things that probably I'd say actually that is helping to build the reputation of this city. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly, our move here with the different activities, particularly the music cafe and that rich history of research and music and dementia, that's one thing. I think Hacienda Classical has done something unusual mm. that has helped reflect the city perhaps in a different way to a much, much bigger international community than we would otherwise, or perhaps that the Hacienda could as well. Yeah. You know, that's, mm. that, that's the other thing. So that's a very Mancunian brand. Um, and I think it, it's also through our programming, our, you know, there's a lot of silent small steps that happen that get towards going, da-da, we've made a, made a change and we've helped build the city. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there was a composer we worked with when he was a student at the RNCM, Danny Cadane, and you know, he's since been commissioned by the proms, etc. But it was a really special moment, almost 10 years to the day, that during COVID we commissioned him to write a piece called Be Still, which is extraordinary um and i i guess at, at that point we did sit back and go that's great that's a real journey from supporting him you know as a student with his first commission and now being here doing this so i guess those are three ways that you know we help build the city mm. we don't do it alone do we no brilliant so i'm going to do a quick a quick fire now manchester quick fire so um Describe Manchester as a symphony. What qualities would it have and which instruments would be most prominent? Fast, loud, violin and trumpet. <laughs> Love it. There you go. <laughs> and we also know that collaboration is at the heart of the Camerata. So which Mancunian artist or musician would you most like to collaborate with that you've not already? The one that we haven't yet found... You know, I think, as I said, like we're looking forward. Yeah. So, you know, and there's a going to be a kind of special 50th celebratory open call for composers. And so I've got to say it's one that we haven't yet found. I love that. That's so exciting. I've got to ask you, what do you order at the chippy? Cheese and onion pie, beans and chips. <laughs> love a cheese and onion pie. No gravy, you go to the gravy school, and beans. It's all horrible, but so good. <laughs> oh, so bad, so good. And where in Manchester would you go to get your inspiration from? It's got to be this place, really. Mm. You know, you just walk through the door and yeah. something happens. Yeah. So here. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. When we walked in and they had all of the stairs, the steps the of light that's coming through, it's just yeah. it's quite amazing. And what sound for you sums up Manchester? An ex-girlfriend reversing her old Skoda at about 80 miles an hour down Dorset <laughs> Avenue, the police helicopter, <laughs> and probably the clink of a milk bottle. Those would be the three that. things. That's its own symphony, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and just lastly, I just want to ask you about legacy, and we've touched on it, and, and it's clear that you know everything you do on a daily basis is creating legacy for Manchester and the communities around us, but... Once you finish as CEO of the Camerata, what would you want people to say that you'd achieved? I think that I'd enabled others. I really do think it would be that, enabling particularly the creative spirit of the musicians that Mm. we work with. Mm. Lovely. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for joining me on We Built This City. 
and it's um it's amazing to see how the camarata really embodies what Manchester's all about and um, we've been through tough times but amazing times ahead now and um, I would just say that if anyone's listening to this podcast that's not been in Castlefield Bowl uh, for Hacienda <laughs> Classical you're not a monk <laughs> you're not lived and I think it's the 8th of July 8th this of July, year, isn't be it? there so be make there. sure you Definitely. get back it's a life changing experience and you'll, and you'll make new friends um, so thanks so much a and pleasure. good luck Thank with everything you. that's coming up with anniversary year thanks thanks, thanks Lisa Bob Riley built the city by ditching cow pats for the curry mile by using music as a tool for positive change and by letting people clap whenever they want Bob and I mentioned Rowetta, who's another guest on We Built This City. She is Manc 54 in the We Built This City feed. We Built This City will be back on the 19th of May with peace promoter and public speaker Fegan Murray, who tragically lost her son, Martin Hett, in the Manchester Arena attack five years ago. If you want to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk. Or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at RDPR Tweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 25 years on 0161 236 1122. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built This City. Thank you. Thank you.